so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that all your churches and your pastors, pastors, you will convict them, Lord, to get into these issues, Lord, and talk about Bible events today and how they uh, conflict and how they are reconciled. So, Lord, we praise you and thank you for that. I pray, Lord, as we, as we finish our series on spiritual warfare today, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just bless us and bring us together, that we can be one, we can understand what all this means and how we can fight the evil one according to your will. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. God is good. You thought, ah, he forgot fellowship time. I did not. I just want to mix it up a little bit for you guys. Let's greet each other in Christ. Thank you so much uh, once again, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we fin- finish up spiritual warfare, Lord, that you will bless us, Lord, that you will touch our hearts, Lord, and, and, and show us again how we can really seek your word and your will and you, Lord, and the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome the evil one because he, he's at us every day. And so we thank you, Lord. I pray that you use me in this message, that you anoint me to preach it for your glory. And I pray hearts will be open to receive all you'd have for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So this morning, I want us to look at the last part of God's arsenal for fighting spiritual warfare. And it's really, it's the latter part of Ephesians six seventeen, And this, this last arsenal is the word. So our first thought, our first thought today is, how does the, the word protect us? Ephesians six seventeen. In particular, we're going to be looking at the latter part of Ephesians 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word is to be applied to specific needs and teachings. For example, are you with me? It may be a word of comfort when we are in turmoil. It may be a word of hope when we feel hopeless. It may be a word of courage when our knees are shaking. It may be a word of of strength when we feel weak and vulnerable. It may be a word of challenge when we are apathetic. It may be a word of conviction when we are facing some sin and so on. See, that's the word, the sword of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to maybe use one illustration here. It's always good to have visual aids, especially the Bible. What do we have in my hand? I got a version of the Bible. Well, I'll see that, okay, what does the Bible contain? Words. It contains the sword of the Spirit. So if I have my Bible in my hand, I say, oh, good, that's the Bible. I can look at Revelation through, you know, uh, Genesis through Revelation. Wonderful. I see, I see words on a page, words on a page. These are swords that God uses. Every need that we have, every topic, I believe, is found in the Word of God. We can find it there. How many of you have a concordance? Very good. How many know what a concordance is? You know, okay. 
Say, say uh, just give me an example. Say I'm dealing with some anger issues. Okay. And so I would say, okay, I got some anger issues going on inside of me. What does the Bible say about this anger? So I can go to my concordance, I can look up anger, and then, then, then anger, then I find, I find all these Bible references for anger. It could be pain, it can be heartache, whatever it is, you can find it by using the concordance. So I think that it's important that everyone have a working understanding of how to use the concordance as you read the Word of God. It's so, so beneficial. Not only for, I tell you, pastors use it. That's one of our tools in preparation. If you have a topic, you go to the concordance. You want to find all the scriptures related to that topic. That's what it does. So it's important. The Bible is just a book if you don't read it and you don't apply it. It's just a book like any other book. So Paul is saying that we need the sword of the Spirit, which is what? Which is the Word of God in order to fight the enemy. And we're going to be talking about Jesus uh, uh, when he was tempted in the wilderness. So, so it is so, so important. I know for many of you, you read the Word very faithfully every day. That is great. I'm just kind of giving you, con- you know, affirming what you're doing. For those of you that are struggling reading the Word, I encourage you to get into, into it every day. Read it. Read it. If you have, it depends on your, on your translation. There's a lot of, uh, I have the NIV where I have a commentary, so I can go right to the commentary if I need a word that I'm looking for, whatever. But you need the tools. Use the tools that God has given you to enhance your knowledge and how to apply the Word of God. Again, without application, the Bible it really is useless to you. It must be read. Amen and amen. Number two, the power of the Word, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and minds of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before before the eyes of him to whom we give account. 12 describes in graphic detail the power of the sword of the spirit. In the ancient world, the double-edged sword was so valuable in battle. Why? Because it had it was sharp on both sides. So they could swing it and swing it and swing it every which direction because it would cut forward backward. And also it meant it was valued because the double-edged sword meant that if we were in combat together, you couldn't reach out and grab my sword. Why would you want to do that? You see what I'm saying? So, so that was <coughs> so important for us to see that. Verse 12 the, for the word of God is living and after sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The double-edged sword penetrates the flesh, while the sword of the spirit, the word of God, cuts deeper. It penetrates not only the flesh, but the heart, the mind, and the soul. The former is used for taking life, while the latter is used for what? For giving life. 
Verse 13a, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Jesus is not so divine and out of touch with us that he is incapable of relating to our human condition. Jesus totally identifies with every aspect of our lives. Every aspect, because he's been there. Christ has been there. And therefore, nothing is hidden from him. And I said last week or whatever, nothing's hidden from God. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. The good thoughts, the bad, he knows. And that's comforting to know, isn't it? Because, and we can't hide, we can't hide this stuff from God. Amen? So that makes God such, oh, I'm going to get into, I'm going to get into number three. We're moving fast. The great confrontation. And this is this. Now, this within itself, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, is a, is, a, is a sermon within itself. But I'm not going to get into all of the temp, Jesus' temptations because there's one point. I'm going to get to one point here. And I'm not going to tell you what that point is. I want you to figure it out as we go through uh, this particular passage, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and led him and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Okay, so we have Jesus was in the wilderness fasting, what, for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, was tempted by the devil. Now, can you imagine us being without food for any period of time, and you walk into a, to a, 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 a kitchen and have fresh bread that's being baked? And you decline it. You know, verse 3. Again. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He knew. He knew that Jesus must have been very hungry. He appealed to Jesus' desire for the flesh. For food. If you're really God's Son... 
Come on, if you're really God's son, you can take these stones, you can turn them into bread. And then Jesus countered with what? He countered with a sword of the Spirit. He said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Temptation 2, verses 5 and 6. Let's read it again. The devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Okay. Satan's dare was to prove Jesus' faithfulness to God. You know, how was he going to do that? He said, I tell you what, he said, your angels, won't they protect you if you throw yourself off the temple? They will prevent you from being injured? How did Jesus respond? Verse 7. Jesus, again, countered with the sword of the Spirit. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Temptation 3, verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. And we're going to get back to that. Again, Satan offered Jesus political leadership over all the kingdoms of the world. He said, it's all yours. I'm going to give it all to you. But if you bow down and worship me, and then in 10 again, Jesus countered with the sword of the Spirit. Away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here Jesus models the importance of knowing and applying the Bible when confronted with temptation. The point is what? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. That's how Jesus, our Lord, responded to Satan's temptations. That's how we are to respond when Satan tempts us. It is written with the word. If you're not in the word, how can you respond? How can anyone? You know, the Bible was not created just for a seminary student. You know, we went through the Great Reformation. Remember that? That's when really... The Bible's intent really came out. Now, I don't want to get into the Catholic whatever, but, you know, you just read your history, you know. Back in the days, it's probably still true today for many Catholic churches. I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm just saying the word was, re- was reserved for the priest. The priest read the word. That's the way it was way back in Martin Luther's day when Luther said, hey, something's wrong here. We should have access to the word. And that created the great reformation. So we have access to the word of God. We have it. And all these different translations. You don't need to depend on me to translate the word for you. You can read it. You can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight. Now, And even today, there's some people in the Catholic Church, that really don't know the books of the Bible. My Jan has, has five, four or five friends that are Catholic. 
And when Jan started talking to them and ministering to them, they didn't know what the book of Daniel was. They're not ignorant people. They're smart. They just were never encouraged to read the word of God. We had that privilege, don't we? Amen? Now, I know you're thinking I'm rapping the Catholics. There are many, many wonderful, wonderful Catholic priests and people, so I'm trying to, you know, I want you to understand that, that, but we need to see that the Bible is given to us freely. What a blessing we have to have the Word of God that we can read at any time, any place. Amen? And amen. So, in verse 11, Jesus tell, uh, tells us Jesus resisted the devil with the word, and the devil fled. Friends, the same holds true for us. We resist by reading. Knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is a good thing. What do we tell our kids? Study. Study hard. Learn. Learn the Bible. Read it. Get into a Bible study, a small group, and study it together and struggle over maybe a passage or two, whatever the case might be. It's wonderful how you can gain insight from other people. Amen? I love to do a Bible study and get other people's opinions on, hey, what do you think of this passage? That passage. We learn so much from others if we knock down a barrier or think that we know it all. None of us, we don't know it all, do we? I don't. You can learn from me. I can learn from you. That, I believe, is the way God intended it to be. Amen and amen. Okay. Number four, use it or lose it. Matthew 6, and 34. Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right. I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I worry about this, I worry about that. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I have so much to worry. I worry about school, I worry about relationships, I worry about my job, I'm worried about finances, I'm worried about this, worrying about church attendance, worried about church finances. Oh, I'm so overwhelmed with worry. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I talk with Chris, I'm still worried. I talk with Jan, Jan just blows me off. You know, I don't know where to go. I don't go, I talk to Dewey. Dewey says, please, I don't have time. I'm mowing the yard. So I'm stuck with my worry. What do I do? What do I do? Well, the sword of the Spirit tells us what to do. Jesus said, what did he say? Here, if you want to be free from anxious worry, you must seek him. You seek Jesus. You seek his righteousness. You seek his righteousness and his help by the Holy Spirit as you pray and meditate on these two verses. Meditate over them. So, what am I saying? I'm worried. This is a great scripture to go to. This is a go-to scripture when it comes to worry. That's what my, what my concordance would tell me. Worry. You always find it's a strong concordance. Whatever one you have, then this passage will always be in there. Worry. Then read it. Read it. When I was 21 years old, it's hard to imagine, you know, it just seemed like only yesterday. When I was 21 years old, 
first married, well, married at 22, fudging. 21, I weighed 135 to 140 pounds soaking wet, wet. And I was about two inches taller than I am right now. So you can imagine, I was, I, Dewey, I was so thin, you could close the door, you could slide me running right underneath that door. I was all arms and legs. I never got involved in lifting weights. That to me, that was, of course, back in, yeah, we had weights. But we just didn't, really didn't lift the weights. So this, I could go down another road. I can't go down that road. I got to stick to, to the script. So I had, I had strength, but it was a different kind of strength. Had stamina, it was a different kind of stamina because I did a lot of sports. So at that end of it, but so I weighed 140 pounds, and I started working for Jewel as an apprentice meat cutter. And I say this because that first store, when I first started my apprenticeship, I walked in to another world. I walked in with men that were much stronger than I was physically. All across the board, I was the smallest one. I was it. I was it. I was the skinny kid who they laughed, ha ha, you want to be a meat cutter? My goodness, you know, my forearm's bigger than your leg. And so back in those days, we it's different today. If you go into any store, jewel, whatever, it's all packaged stuff, most of it. It's not processed in that in that meat department behind that wall. It all comes in, it's called box beef. That's what comes in. So all of it's basically cut down for them in a slaughterhouse. Then the butcher will, will break it into pieces, and they'll you know, process it into steaks or what have you. And then they put a, vet, a sealer on it, and they send it to the stores. Back in my day, that did not happen. You did everything by rail. We got a, we got a meat from Aurora Packing Company, and it would come in at hindquarters, forequarters, and we'd come in there, we'd hang them on rails, we'd slide them in the cooler. If we wanted some steaks or whatever, we had to take that hindquarter and separate the round from the loin. That's how you get your you know, steaks or what have you. But to do that, you had to break them down. There. And oftentimes, that was the apprentice. They'd give the apprentice all the bad job. So when I started to... I'm going to be careful because I'm giving you stuff that you don't understand. But... but uh, uh, a hindquarter can weigh, when it's fully dressed, 150 to 175 pounds. So you strip the fat off of it, and you do other things to break it down. Then you have, when you're done, you start hanging on the hook. You have the round, and you have the, have the, have the, have the, have the loin down there. And that means you've got to cut, saw between that bone, that bone in there, to, to separate them. Back in my day, when I was an apprentice, you had a handsaw to do that. Now, follow me. 140 pounds. In this, they said, okay, would you, they've showed me how to remove the fat, etc., and get to that point of finally you've got to separate that round from the loin using a handsaw and just sawing it. I did that halfway through my first time. I, I can't do this. Really, I was really, I was concerned. I thought, I can't do this. So I'd cut, uh, my arm was so sore, I'd stop. And rest for men, and again, I did that. I probably did three of them, and they were all over me because I was too slow. 
I thought, if I'm going to survive doing this, I better build myself up. I need to build my strength. I look at my brother, Ron, because pound for pound, Ron is probably the strongest man in this, in this building. But I had to, I had to build myself up. And I had a short time to do it because they were watching me. So I worked hard. I worked hard. I, wanted, I, I took all the jobs because I, went, I felt myself then getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger to be able to do that job. And Estelle is a joke because I went through 15 years or 14, 12 years working for Jewel, and I was one of the little men doing it. But I did it. And I could keep up eventually with the big boys. Why? Not because I was so strong naturally. I had to build myself up in order to do that job. You see what I'm saying? And the same applies, I, I share all of this, because you see our spiritual armor is only useful if we put it on. It is only useful when we exercise it. When we get stronger in the faith. That's what it's all about. I learned that from Jewel. If I work hard and keep working at it, I get stronger and stronger. The same applies to my faith. If I want to get stronger in my faith, I have to work at it. I got to put it on. I got to put on the word. I got to put on the sword of the spirit. I got to try. I got to read. I got to study. I got to apply to make my faith stronger. You are the same. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. Amen? And amen. Okay. Number five. It's all about Christ. Ephesians 6, 14 through... I'm going through the first part of 18. Stand firm then with a belt of truth, have it memorized, belt of truth, buckled around your, your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Then he says in 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Consider the spiritual armor we've been looking at these past few weeks. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Feet fitted for what? With the readiness for what? For the gospel of peace. How about the shield of faith? How about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? You know, they all are reminders, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we face battles every single day. All of us do. The moment we get up in the morning, you hit that door to go to work, whatever, you are in some kind of a battle with the unseen world. With the evil world, part of the battle might be if you're a young person, you don't need God. Who needs God? That's what Satan wants you to believe. You don't need him. Why don't you wait until you're older? You know? Why, why don't become a Jesus freak? He attacks us in so many different ways because he's so good at it. 
This armor reminds us that we are in that battle. And this spiritual armor embodies one person, Jesus Christ. Now, I came across this illustration that, uh, that really shows how, to, how it works, how this armor works. I want you to listen to this because it's very practical, and you can apply it very easily. At least it made sense to me. A man said, when I get up in the morning, I put on my clothes with the idea that I'm going to be in them all day long wherever I go. They cover me and make me presentable to others. That's the purpose of clothes. In the same way, Paul, Paul says, put on the armor of Christ wherever you go. And make that armor a part of your everyday life. Take Jesus with you. Take Jesus wherever you go. Take him. And make him and understand that he will act through you in everything that you do. You take him, he will act through you in everything you do. It's not easy. I could probably take the microphone and say, okay, what's going on in your life? How is Satan working in your life? What's he doing? I know what he's doing in my life right now. My thoughts are on my daughter. I can't get that thought out of my head. Because I know what I know, what I know, what I know. I know Satan's trying to use that as a tool. I don't hate, but I hate him. I hate what he stands for. But I also know that greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. That gives me hope. That gives me hope each and every day. Friends, every day, put on the armor of Christ. Every morning, put it on. Because you know what? He's going to be following you. He's going to be tracking you. And he's going to find an area where he's going to probe you. Put it on. And Satan will not have a chance to dominate or control your life. That's how you overcome and fight spiritual warfare. You put it on. And you walk in the faith knowing that God has it. Whatever you are going through... God can handle it. That's his promise, not mine. It's his. Put on the armor of God. It's the embodiment of Jesus Christ. He will not let you down, but you've got to put it on. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you so much. And I thank you, Lord, for... I thank you, Lord, for the armor of God. I thank you, Lord, that doesn't matter how we're hurting, what fills our minds with, with concern, it doesn't matter. Because we know that we can come to you, Jesus. Our peace, 
our helmet, helmet, our shield, our sword. And we can fight the devil through your word and your truths. And we thank you for that, Lord, and we give you praise, and we, we, just, we just honor you, Lord. So I pray any brother or sister right now that is really struggling, struggling within themselves, whatever it might be, Lord, that you might minister to them and convict them. And Jesus, that they can follow your lead. It is written. It is written. It is written. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fight alone, that you're always with us. In Jesus' name, amen.